Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with John Zismos, and this was someone I was so pumped to have on the podcast. Just purely the background and perspective that John has working at amazing brands at Salesforce, where he was chief design officer, Google, where he was VP of creative for brand, media, and customer programs. And now today, jumping up to the big CMO title at Okta, a company that has continued to grow as a publicly traded company all around identity. Now, what's really interesting though to me is John's focus on connecting with people. And this is so evident in our chat today. He talks about the connections he makes with his team, as a marketing leader, but just at the same time, he talks about the connections that we need to make with customers. And we reflect back on ways that this was done at Salesforce to elevate beyond talking about product, to talk more so about the stories and the ways people use your solution are way more powerful than the feature set that you may pump out on a day-to-day basis. This is a great episode to think about making your offering more strategic. Here's my chat with John. John, thanks for stopping in. I am really excited to understand how you became a CMO because your career doesn't necessarily scream as someone who dreamt that on day one. Where did this Okta opportunity find you? Um, I actually found it, to be quite honest with you. I was uh, I was at Google at the time, and a couple of people that I really admire and love from my past went to Okta. I called up and I asked if they could create a job for me because I wanted to be there with them because we had done this same kind of trip at Salesforce. We were all there when it was a $1 billion company and I was there from 1 billion to 10 billion. And that ride, that was just amazing. And at that moment, at that time, I, you know, we were all kind of stumbling through it, trying to figure out what was going on. Cause it was one of those rocket ships. You didn't know where it was going to go and leaving that and going to Google and seeing these people that I loved and loved working with come to Okta and having an opportunity to join them again and do this one more time with the collective experience that we all now had to me was just something I, I had to, I had to do. So I called up, um, I put down a, a proposition of a time that I would join exactly how it would work out. And then we just started talking about it and it all worked out. And uh, I joined, so I wasn't even recruited. I just, I called up and asked to be here. I love that. That's so bold and uh, seeking something that excites you in a, in a brand that I've known for some time in Okta that's definitely on the rise, like a Salesforce and a Google. But I want to go back to, to your point, create a role. Uh, you've had this title more than once now of chief digital officer, and not all companies have this. Let's go back even to Salesforce. Was this job title your idea or Mark Benioff's idea? At Salesforce, I started out as the executive creative director. And so that grew into me taking on 
the entire digital team, which was seven different teams and bringing that together and reinventing the digital ecosystem and reformatting salesforce.com and bringing that story to life. And so that then became the chief creative and digital officer that was kind of a dual role. And I think that was just something we worked out, me and the CMO at the time, you know, just expanding that role and that title. It was a real learning experience for me. It's something that I loved. You know, it was mostly in the agency world before coming to Salesforce. And that was my first in-house brand role. And I had this theory and I've written, I wrote up these papers and these keynotes about the future of marketing was really building agencies within companies. And I had been shopping that around and trying to get a job in that endeavor from, I don't know, from like 2000 and sometime between 2000 and 2010 when I got the opportunity. But nobody at that time was really hiring anybody from the agency side. I was really incredibly lucky to have this moment when Salesforce was looking for an individual to do this role, and I happened to be lucky enough to get in the interview process and get the job, and then put that theory to work and build a pretty extraordinary team. Went from 12 people to like 350 people at the time, plus maybe 100 or 200 contractors that were in and out of there, depending on how we wanted to flex the system. And so it was an incredibly lucky moment for me to get in there and have that opportunity. And, and I took advantage of it. I really spent an enormous amount of time purely focused on work for the first five years there and trying to make that work and make it happen. And, and, it, and it worked out. That's amazing. And, and you had a seven-year run at, at Salesforce. So it was clearly working and, and clearly great alignment. Let's, let's bring it back to modern day yeah. at Okta. Uh, as you said, you seeked out this opportunity. They brought you on as chief digital officer but within a year, you're now CMO. What is the biggest difference that you've experienced being a CMO versus this role that you somewhat, as you said, created? Yeah, uh, it, it's much different in many ways. I'm still doing both roles. So just about to replace my original role with a new leader starting in August. But um, I had built this role of all the things that I love to do. You know, So in coming here, I wanted the, the most important thing for me was to be with these people that I really wanted to work with. But my number one goal in life is to be a great father. It is not to be a world-class chief digital officer or CMO. It's not what I look to do. And so in leaving Google, coming here, and every time I change jobs, I'm trying to be a better father, a better husband, a better son, father, everything outside of work. And so creating that job and that role, coming here and talking to everybody really gave me the ability to be a better father. And so then taking on that CMO role was a big deal because I knew that it was going to take up so much more of my time, take me away from that the category of things that I really love doing and taking on an entire team. Some things of which I really didn't have a lot of experience with doing. And so in that endeavor, you're really about hiring the best people in the world that make up for your weaknesses. And then building upon on your strengths to in order to, to drive strategy and then to get the advice and the help of those where you have gaps in order to make sure that that strategy works. And then to test those things out with each other and really be a great people leader. More of this job and actually more of my job in general over the last decade has been about people first and really be, being the leader that they need me to be 
and getting out of the business of being a micromanager and allowing them to take their risks and for me to take a big risk sometimes and trusting that that's going to work out. And in the end, that's really what you're here to do is to be a people leader. I do a lot less actual marketing than I do the strategy of the marketing that will take place and then building the team around that. I love so many elements of that, including how open you are and vulnerable you are to talk about weakness. And and I'm curious, making that shift, I'm going to assume the digital side, if you will, uh, playing off the previous role versus strength. And it's it's interesting to hear that you've already got someone coming in to backfill yourself, which I'm sure is an interesting hiring process. But but what was the biggest weakness that you needed to complement yourself, as you said, with a strong hire? Well, when I think about the the vast scope of this role there are edges right you're building pipeline and demand generation and the buyer's journey and everything that marketing and storytelling does and i feel so confident in that area and the digital ecosystem that you build as a distribution unit for that very confident inside of this organization though there is pr and comms and crisis comms And there is also the sales development reps and the business development reps that have a certain sales motion of something I've never led before, right? And so I've been great partners with the the heads of PR and comms and crisis comms and other companies, but I've never led that before. And so it was really important that I had a key leader come in that was really an expert in that. And that was one of the first major hires that I was in the middle of as I took on this role. And so having that partnership with that individual has been just fantastic, you know, because he's so good at what he does and he, I'm learning and I'm, and I'm working through being able to help him in other ways and storytelling, but it is great. And it is just like wonderful to watch somebody so great at something that you're in awe of as you're just working together and knowing that that's taken care of. And um, it's wonderful. Yeah, I think the most important thing is that you know when you're not good at something and you need an expert there because that's what great leadership's about. It's not trying to micromanage or think you know something because you watched a movie about it or that you worked with somebody for a decade and you go, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. You really, you really need to know where you need to step in and where you need to stand back and where you can help. That's fantastic. I, I'm curious, just one last question before we take a break here. Making this jump again, was this something that you knew you wanted to do or it was presented to you? And what have you done to surround yourself with the right mentorship being a CMO of a company the size and scale of Okta? I mean, this is 5,000 plus employees and, you know, including those various parts of marketing and sales development, I, I believe it's what, 700 plus people? Yeah, this was an opportunity that came up. You know, our CEO, Todd, and I thought about it together a lot. You know, there was kind of a a trial run where I was going at it for a couple months trying to uh, solve some immediate issues and and calm the team down. That was the most important thing. But I think the most important thing he said to me in the run up to this was, you're a great marketer. I know that. That's not what I'm looking for. I want you to be a great people manager. I want you to build a company and a brand that people are going to come and love to work for. And when I heard that, that is the the reason I get up every day. That's what I love to do. And so it made it a lot easier for me to step into the role and be that person 
And it took the stress and pressure away from me for the things that I didn't think I was an expert in to be able to to help lead that and bring that to the table. So uh, we went through that process. We got to know each other really well. Then he made a decision and uh, he asked me if I wanted to take it on. I said, if it, as long as it keeps going like this, this is great. And so that that happened. And it's been uh, it's been really challenging, but it's also been really fun. Um, and I'm having a great time doing it. Now, in terms of the second part of your question, I have a personal outside board of directors that I've assembled around me. And I think a lot of people do this in different ways, but I really make it this official group of people that are my mentors outside of work that I run things by, whether I'm stuck or, you know, I have something I'm about to do that I've never done before and I ask opinions. And so I think that's incredibly important for everybody to have. And I always say, you know, have a mentor, be a mentor. You could be in your first job. You could be a mentor to a junior in college or a senior in college or a freshman in college. And they would look up to you with unbelievable awe of where you are and how you got there. You don't have to have a lot of experience to be a mentor, have a mentor. And I'm at this point in my career, I've just been doing this for a very long time. I still look for help and advice and I value it and I cherish it. Um, and it's probably why I've been able to have the opportunities that I have. Well, it's so well put and uh, very inspirational. John, we're gonna take a quick break here on The Marketer's Journey and we'll be back to talk about the buyer side. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Just before, John hit on the importance of leveraging your board, and I encourage everyone to think this way. Even if you're not the CEO, the board is there for you as part of the executive team. One of the things that I did with our board was ensure that we had a marketing guru on our board. We brought on Alyssa Fink, who is the CMO of Tableau for a 12-year run taking it from 5 million of ARR to over a billion of ARR. And I've made sure that every one of our marketing leaders has had her ear, has had the ability to say, how did you get through these tough times? How did you take the brand to the next level? How did you adapt to the type of growth? Having board members who have been there and done that can help your entire executive team. And as the CMO, you have access to that individual, no different than the CEO. John, I've watched Okta scale uh, as a fan, as a customer, uh, and now having you on, I was kind of curious. And, and it's amazing, I'm sure over the years, becoming a public company, probably a number of acquisitions, so many different offerings. How do you find the right storyline to unify all of these? Talking to customers, most important thing that I do. And um, 
you go out and you find the top 10 stories in each segment or each category around the company. You call them up, you ask, can we tell a story together? And uh, you show up and you start, you set up a group of cameras, you sit across from them and you ask them, why did they choose us? What was the reason? And if those line up with the core differentiation that, that we put out as marketing, that's the beauty of it all. Do those match? And if not, we adjust them because we, after you talk to a series of customers, they're, they're telling you why you matter. And our product is great. But what's really great is that product in the use, in the hands of a customer that's doing something spectacular with it. So many of our customers take our products and they do things with them that we never imagined. We didn't build them to do those things with. And that's what makes a really great story and a really great, powerful brand story. And when you get up on stage and you play these films and you invite the customer up, they become advocates. And that is the best selling tool you've got. That's a great point. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, thinking about your career and some of my experiences, I think back to going to Dreamforce so many times and these massive posters along the streets in San Francisco, making customers into superheroes, essentially. That's how I always thought it. They, they were these trailblazers, as Salesforce would call them. And it sounds like that's the model that perhaps you're, you know, I, I assume maybe you had a, a hand in that. My question for you on that is, how do you determine in getting these stories, whether you go to the C-level or whether you go to the person who's, in your case, using Okta, the more IT hands-on team members, where are those stories best to pull from? Yeah, I think, you know, back going back to Salesforce, for instance, when I first got in there, it took me like a year and a half to convince Mark that that was what the real story was. Mark, I kept going to him, wow, this is a the real story is how people are using this thing. It's like, John, we sell product here. They would get up on stage and sell the product, product, product. It took me a while to really convince them that this real story was that product being used by a customer. Made the first film that he, he, he hooked me up with. To his credit, he watched this film and it just blew him away. And then that became the trajectory of the storytelling. And so in the beginning of those stories, right, you're, you're anyone that says yes, that's where you start. And it's usually the buyer, the user, someone that's in the middle of knowing why this thing is really important and it works and it's making them famous inside the company and they want to tell that story. But as you start to tell those stories, you have to go up because, you know, the more you get the CEO on film and then you can attract other CEOs because this is a, a much more profound purchase at that moment. But a great story would be the CEO the people and, and, and the developer that's implementing it and everybody in between. So three to five people is a really good cross-section when you have good diversity and you're telling a story from the different perspectives or business units. It's great to have a CMO, the head of sales, the CEO, and then the person that's implementing it, put it together. That's a really great story. It's amazing. I mean, I, I almost hear a documentary coming to life in terms of interviewing all the various people and all the stakeholders. And that's the reality when you're buying a platform versus perhaps more of a point solution. Is that been an important part of, you know, the opportunities that you've joined in terms of companies? I mean, I think back to Google and Salesforce, now Okta, I mean, these are, these are far from point solutions. 
versus platforms. Absolutely. I think for many years, and we're making this big transition here at Okta right now, for many years, Okta was sold as a product, as a tool, as a tool set, single sign-on, right? Multi-factor authentication. And I think that's great in, in the hands of the people that understand that and need to implement it. But the profound nature of this product and what it does and how many people need it is a much more profound story. It does much more than a tool. And so to become the world's number one identity platform and provider, you've got to tell that more profound story. What is our real mission versus single sign-on and multi-factor authentication? Our real mission is to free anyone to safely use any technology at any touch point, anywhere that they sign in or log into anything. And that is both on the workforce side as an employee, you're coming into a company and on the customer identity side where you are going to create a portal for your customers to come in and give you their valuable information. And so it's much more important to every CEO to protect their employees and their customers when you think about it that way versus, oh, I need to add friction to a login to make sure that we're protected. And so... I'm trying to elevate that story and any company or entity that I walk into or where I'm consulting, I really try to help them elevate that story because that really is, is what it's all about. You know, it's not about the thing you sell. It's about what it does and the profound nature of what it does. So how do you rally, whether it's your CEO, Todd, as you mentioned earlier, or your team members around the correlation between telling these stories and how you measure their impact? I mean, is this, is this something that you measure against retention rates? Is it something you measure against pipeline created? Where do you expect to see the biggest needle move as you turn these, you know, individual use cases into bigger strategies? Yeah, the, the place where these work really the best are in the hands of our salespeople, right? In, in sales enablement. And so you're creating a story and when you think about the biggest cost of that is usually the media to get it out to the people that you want to target. In the B2B space, the best places for this are the events that we throw. That you have this gigantic screen behind you. you have, everybody you want to target is sitting in the audience. And you have an opening film that lays the foundation of who you are, what you do, and how you do it in terms of the company perspective. An executive then gets out tells the profound nature of why we're all here today. And then instead of talking about products and what they do, you bring up a series of films, the case studies, the use cases, as you, as you suggested, to tell it in the words of our most successful customers. Then you bring them up on stage to follow up on that, to interview them about what they're doing in the future. And then the best thing to cap it all off is having a live demo and here's what we're building in the future. And then you inspire the audience to do the same. And I find that those things have two completely different outcomes. One, if you're a customer in your audience and you just joined with Okta, you are going to be made the best choice. We joined the right team. Look at all this success. Like you said before, these posters of customer success. If you're a prospect and you're in there and you don't have this, you have the complete opposite effect. You get stressed out. You get freaked out. You're seeing your competitors, if they're there, lapping you, succeeding, and then you feel stress and you want to meet with our sales team even faster. 
So the upsell, cross-sell, and just the intro new logo sell is all happening with one great story. And that's what I love about the events and these things in the hands of our salespeople, the customer experience centers. When we gather a client to come in and we ask them, how can we help you? And then we show them films from their category of people that are really succeeding. It just does such heavy lifting. And you don't have to spend a lot of money on media in that department to get it out there. Again, you flood that all over your website. And so when people come, they experience it. But it has its most impact and most power when you have the right people in the room and they are there to take that in. That's fascinating. You you hit at the end there on the last question I want to ask you here, because some people are hearing this and they're thinking, okay, I don't work at a Salesforce or a Google or an Okta, you know, all worth billions. I've got limited resources or with the year that we have ahead, maybe I'll have even more limited resources. Is this something that you need big budgets for? I mean, you come from a film production background, so I'm sure, you know, a lot of production value, but how have you seen someone perhaps do this on a lower, more lean budget? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the world's changed so much. I mean, the cost of, of cameras and the quality of cameras, what you can do with an iPhone Pro 13 just held steady is remarkable today versus what, what you needed in years past. So the cost of entry um, is talent, right? You still need someone that can tell a story that can interview somebody, that can make a film, that knows editing. But you can do that at much different levels. And we do that. We have tiers of, of stories that we tell, right? We have some that'll be a one-camera shoot. It'll be very simple. They might even do them on Zoom. And then we have the ultimate, which is you've got a four-camera setup and you've flown somewhere and you've got the lights and you're, you're telling something and, and the production value really makes a big difference. All of that says something about your company. The investment that you put into a story, it says something, it builds your brand. It says something about you that you're willing to go there and tell a story at that level. But you don't need that many at that level. You need a handful, but you need a lot of stories in every aspect because everybody has a story to tell in each segment and each industry for each product, for each use case, and you can never have enough. And you will never have enough. But you have to pick a prioritization of which ones you need, and they are your most important asset in the B2B space. That's great guidance. John, we're gonna keep you around. One more break here, and back with John on The Marketer's Journey. John hit on the importance of a great customer case study and that you can never have enough of them. And I couldn't agree anymore. Now he's inspired me to think about that high production case study. But one of the things that you can do is create a template to get as many case studies done as possible. Here's how I did that. I went and I created a simple Google form. The Google form allowed our customers to go and fill out some basic information. It allowed me to build a simple deck so that we'd get on and report a quick case study. We use great, easy to use tech solutions like StreamYard to record it in a really quick way. We're able to grab these stories and then load them into our resource hub. And more importantly, like John just said, get them at the fingertips of our salespeople to use at every stage of the buyer journey. Having as many of these as possible against the different verticals and case studies and use cases 
is so true. And it, the key there is the ability to get this out with a template. So think of ways that you can hack it. Otherwise, you're going to only be able to think about one, perhaps a quarter, whereas we need to be getting multiple case studies for the different ways we go to market. So John, we have hit on your career journey. We talked a little bit about the buyer journey. I want to bring the two together. As you think about the next CMO, maybe it's someone you work with, someone you're working with today, are they coming from more of a generalist marketing path today? Or do you think specialty like you've had with a digital focus is really what you need? I think you need to understand the context and, and the purpose and the totality of the group you're going to lead. What do they do? Do you understand how long it takes for them to get their job done? Do you understand where they came from and what, what their needs are? Do you understand the craft? Everything, if the more you know about the people, whether you've done it or not, helps you in having one-on-ones with them and guiding strategy. Because if you don't understand what something costs and what somebody is about to do, you're really going to screw them up. You're going to make assumptions. You're going to insult them. You're going to push them to do things quicker than they should. You won't respect the time that it takes to get something done. And you're not going to be the best leader. And so I've seen a lot of CMOs get jobs. And I've worked for a lot of CMOs that get jobs that have absolutely no idea what anyone's doing. And they think, or the CEO at that point thought, because they were really good at this as an operator, let's throw them into marketing and do this. What, what harm can be done? Maybe they'll snap it all up. And they end up really creating chaos and a lot of people just wanting to get the hell out of there. And so... I, I think it's about respecting everybody's ability to get their job done, understanding their endeavor. It's so well put. I mean, when you when you have that to your point, you're able to be so much more empathetic, which I think is is really what people respect at the end of the day. Another question for you: we we hit on content a lot in that last segment in terms of you know the value of a case study and a high production case study. But what about content that's sent to you gets you to click through, whether it's an email being sent, some sort of carrot being teased, what is it that gets you to click to want to know more? Yeah. I mean, first it's gotta be, you know, something that I'm interested in, right? Either, either that I, that I'm looking to buy or is in the back of my mind to buy, or that is uh, part of either a hobby or a desire, but also it has, there's a compelling headline there is obviously something funny about to be seen or something entertaining there may be some star power there there there's just something there's a lure beyond just the basics there's design there's there's something that grabs you that's the real craft right because there's people that write articles but there's another person that writes a headline to get you to click on that article and every newspaper and every magazine in the world and it's about putting those things together. And that's what I, that's why I love this business, because I know if I have the right talent and I have the right people, I will always give someone a better choice than my competitor by using creativity, by using content, and every aspect of design that I possibly can to bring that together. I love that. So well put. Uh, really inspiring. Last question, maybe the toughest of the day, but you've already hit on the importance of this. As you talked about being a father, being a husband, 
being better all around. But how do you balance being a CMO with having a personal life and having those priorities? I, I, there is no question about what I'm going to do on any given moment or any given day. It, it, I put my children first. If that isn't the right thing for my children, I don't go on that trip. I don't do that thing. I don't spend the extra time at night. My children come first and foremost, and it's what I tell my entire team to do as well. Not, you know, not in the fact of children, because a lot of people don't have children, but what is the most important thing to you in your life? This is what you need to prioritize. Bring us the rest. Make this a great hobby, something you love to come and do so that you can solve, help solve the problems and you feel, feel good about your day. But if you put all those other things aside, you will never be happy because work is the ultimate disappointer. Work will consistently and constantly disappoint you at any given time. But um, if you treat it as if um, everything else comes first and, and your family and the things that you love and your health, when you come to work, and you'll have a different perspective. You'll have a different perspective and, and you'll be way more successful. Now, it took me a long time to get there, but I'm there and I've been there for a while now. And the more that I can turn people to think that way, I see them succeeding more at work and they're thankful for that approach. And if I do that and I practice that every day, the team feels safe to do that as well. And it makes for a better team. I love that. Uh, a great note to finish this podcast on a great balance and a great set of priorities, which every marketer is always looking for as you look to set your priorities. And if you found this podcast for the first time with John, check out all the other great guests that we've had. Every marketer's journey is a little bit different, a little unique. Every path is different. Hopefully yours is taking its own fun one. And maybe one day we'll get together to hear it on this podcast. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.